From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We are headed into an unprecedented heat wave here in the Northwest. You've heard about it. We're going to talk to Congressman Earl Blumenauer about the dangers and potential impacts for Oregon. We're also talking about America's infrastructure. President Biden announced late this week he has struck a deal with Republicans on an infrastructure plan. Rebuilding and renewing America has long been a passion for Oregon's 3rd District Congressman. Congressman Blumenauer joins us now from his office in Washington, D.C. with his take on President Biden's American Jobs Plan and what's in it for Oregon and Portland. Congressman, thank you for joining us. It's great to have you back here on Straight Talk. Yeah, I've missed you, Laurel. Well, we have missed you, too, and we want to start off to talk about this heat wave. It's going to be a little cooler there in D.C. than here. We're talking to you on Friday afternoon as we prepare for temperatures that are forecast to be higher than we have ever seen in the Northwest. We're also seeing drought, and the wildfire forecast right now looks pretty bleak for Oregon and the West. What are your thoughts about these conditions and how they could impact Oregon? Well, they are truly uh, breathtaking in terms of the sweep. We've never seen, as you said, heat like this, and it's only June. Um, one of the things I've been trying to do is make sure that people are exercising common sense. Uh, hydrate, you know, is, is something that uh, people misjudge the impact of this extreme heat. And there's always some time where somebody puts a a pet in a car or a God forbid a child. Uh, we need to have people stay cool, stay hydrated, make sure we don't make any mistakes. Uh, it's absolutely imperative that we are uh, incredibly sensitive to not starting fires. So many of these wildfires are started by humans. And we just, we can't afford to do that because our forests are a tinderbox. Uh, it's, uh, I think, sad to say, that this is a preview of coming attractions. This is what climate change means, global warming that is visited upon the Pacific Northwest. We're not used to temperatures like this. We're not used to extreme drought, at least in the Portland metropolitan area and in uh, the Puget uh, Sound. Uh, this is likely to be the new normal, and we're going to have to be extraordinarily vigilant. Well, that's an important warning. Thank you, Congressman. Let's talk about America's infrastructure, another passion of yours. You have said you have waited your entire congressional career for an opportunity to participate in a vision like the one the president has proposed. And President Biden said Thursday he has a deal with Republicans on a pared-down version of his plan. What do you think of the deal, and what could it mean for America and for Oregon? Well, we're still finding out what the details are. But I appreciate the fact that President Biden continued working with Republicans and Democrats uh, on moving the infrastructure agenda. It's not all that he wants. It's not all that we're going to do. But it's an important step forward to be able to engage people on a bipartisan basis. And I commend the president for his vigilance and his hard work and his tenacity. Now we have to figure out exactly what it means and where we go from here. But the bottom line is that there's an opportunity for us to take unprecedented steps to rebuild and renew America. And luckily, we have uh, Oregon Congressman Peter DeFazio, 
who chairs the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. Uh, we'll be debating his reauthorization bill uh, in the House this next week. Uh, Peter's done a great job on this bill. It's got a number of things I've been working on for years. And I think that's going to be an important overall well, let's talk about some of those things that are really important to you. There are a handful of targeted bills that the House could pass next week as part of that reauthorization bill that could benefit Oregon. You've asked for millions in federal funding to address traffic and pedestrian safety in Portland. And recently you took a walking tour of Gresham's 181st Avenue corridor with Gresham Mayor Travis Stovall. What are the safety concerns there and how would your bill help? Well, we have not done a good job of prioritizing safety. It's, it's a national problem. And those broad roads out uh, in Gresham and in East Portland uh, really were not designed to be safe. We've had disproportionate impacts. And sadly, the victims tend to be older, people of color, children. Uh, we've got an opportunity to help restructure that. There is or 82nd Avenue, and there's a great proposal that is moving through the Oregon legislature on something that I've been working on for years for the state to transfer 82nd Avenue to the city of Portland, along with money to bring it up for standards. 82nd Avenue is a, 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 a terrible example of what we call an orphan highway. It is not safe. Uh, it is not conducive for development and for housing. Um, these are areas that we might be able to have some federal money to assist what the state is doing and be able to get down to basics in terms of improving traffic flow, improving neighborhood quality of life, and being able to make our citizens safer. Help us understand, Congressman, are these projects that could be included in bills that could pass separately from the president's big infrastructure package? No, it'll be part of a a broader uh, effort. Uh, I mentioned that Peter DeFazio's reauthorization is on the floor. That has uh, the, pro the project that I was touring uh, on 182nd. It has uh, resources on 82nd. Um, these are areas for bike safety uh, that uh, would be part of a broader package. Uh, it's not going to be broken out piece by piece. Uh, there'll be efforts dealing with mega projects. Uh, we've been struggling, as you know, with ac uh, bridge access to Vancouver. Uh, there are concerns the Abernathy. Uh, there are efforts uh, underway to try and uh, make sure that we're giving people an opportunity to address the Rose Quarter, uh, which was uh, really savaged by ill-considered uh, road and urban renewal projects. Uh, the president's big bill has elements in there to try and bring communities back together that were ripped up by poorly designed federal programs. And there's an opportunity, if we get our act together, we may be able to get some resources to solve that long simmering problem. 
I want to dig into that just a little bit more because next month ODOT is scheduled to make final recommendations on the I-5 Rose Quarter project, including freeway covers. And you and Senators Merkley and Wyden have said you would support federal funding for the project only if the plan included buildable freeway covers that would connect. And you referred to this Portland's Albina neighborhood that was broken up by the freeway system. Help us understand what exactly you want to see in the I-5 Rose Quarter project and why you think it's important. Well, the work that has been done by the Albina Vision Group and neighborhood activists, uh, they understand how poorly that community was treated by state, federal, and local officials. And being able to try and tie those pieces back together, to be able to have more opportunities to recapture uh, the elements of livability, uh, to be able to have more land available uh, for the benefit of individuals. Uh, there's a new template, I think, that's possible in terms of development. Uh, there's a potential agreement with the school district, uh, with the headquarters of the school district that's there. We're looking at uh, significant redevelopment opportunities there. I think there's this is a unique moment in time where the school district, the city, the state, the federal government, um, ODOT, have an opportunity to be creative and try and put the pieces together to heal uh, a, a mistake that has been a scar on our community for almost 50 years. Let's shift gears back a bit to the pandemic. As more people get vaccinated, the state of Oregon is set to fully reopen soon. Restaurants are reopening. People are going back out to eat. And last week, you introduced new legislation with bipartisan support to replenish funding for the independent restaurant industry. How important is that funding still for Oregon restaurants, even as they reopen? How are they doing? Well, it has that fund has helped uh, over a thousand uh, restaurants uh, who were just hammered by the pandemic, but it is by no means uh, solved all the problems. This trust fund that we established was exhausted in three days. Uh, there, there were 342,000 uh, restaurants uh, that applied. Uh, we're working hard to replenish the trust fund uh, to be able to help the people uh, who need it the most, rather than what happened earlier with the PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Program, where a lot of the money went to uh, rather wealthy individuals. They got concierge service from the big banks, uh, and the little guys and gals uh, were left behind. Uh, we've worked to change that with the Restaurant Recovery Act. Uh, we have bipartisan support, as you said, uh, to uh, replenish it. I'm seeking $60 billion, which would take care of everybody that was in line. Uh, it's really exciting for me to hear from folks when they get these checks, they're able to expand their activities. There'd be a lot of people were surviving on uh, savings uh, and just kind of putting uh, together, um, holding on with their fingertips. This is going to help uh, these restaurants be able to stabilize and to be able to help recover. The restaurant industry was hit harder than any other part of our economy. And as you know, Laurel, these are absolutely essential for our neighborhoods. Uh, it, they're disproportionately women and minorities, uh, veterans, uh, and they're the heartbeat of every one of our neighborhoods. So we're fighting to be able to give them more resources, 
and to deal with problems in the future. There's a, this is a trillion dollar supply chain. Uh, and it isn't just the restaurants, it's, it's people who provide the linens and tablecloths. They uh, provide the food, uh, the beverages. Uh, this is a, a massive part of our economy and we want to get it healthy. And they're really an important part of our identity in Portland, and they're still digging out of this pandemic. They're still in a big hole. So I know that'll be helpful to them. Let's talk about taxes on industries responsible for the nation's toxic pollution. Another issue I know is critical to you. Up until 1995, oil producers and petrochemical companies paid into a super fund to help pay for toxic cleanup. But the Republican-led Congress at the time let those taxes expire, and you want to reinstate those taxes. Why and how likely is that to happen? Well, it's very clear that the Superfund problem was created by the petrochemical industry. That's why there was bipartisan support to set up the Superfund and to provide the resources by taxing the very products that we're now cleaning up. As you said, the Republicans would not renew it, and they have fought against the ability for us to be able to reconsider it. We now have a president who supports it. We have Republicans um, who I think will be a little more inclined, but Democrats are control in the House and the Senate. Uh, I think we have a superb chance to be able to make sure that the people who created this problem, who have had a not just local rate payers and property taxpayers and local business. Well, some of the companies say the taxes are applied to entire industries, taking companies, taxing companies at the same level, no matter their compliance with environmental regulations. For example, according to a Huffington Post article, the American petroleum industry said it paid 57% of the taxes, even though its share of the liability was less than 10%. Is that fair? You know, I, I dispute that characterization, but the point is a petrochemical industry is well suited to be able to step up and shoulder their part of the responsibility. Uh, they got liability uh, exemption, the CERCLA requirements that would have stuck them with a significant cleanup bill was suspended. They, they got a waiver. Uh, so they got sort of a get out of jail free card. Uh, and it, for the last 20 years, uh, they haven't been paying into the fund and they still have the get out of jail free card. Uh, it's absolutely appropriate. The petrochemical industry um, is responsible for this, uh, being clear that uh, trying to pick and choose and winners and losers, uh, if you do that approach, you could end up spending more money just trying to pin liability on people. That's part of what's going on now uh, as we're trying to clean up the Portland Harbor. There's disagreement about which of the over a hundred different potentially responsible parties uh, are going to shoulder their part of this uh, liability. Uh, if we have the petrochemical industry as a whole paying for it and we don't try and refine a very precise percentage, which is very hard to do when you're looking back in time, let's just have them pay into the fund. If they all pay into the fund and they all get liability uh, exemption with CERCLA, uh, they're ahead and the community is ahead.
And that Superfund cleanup in Portland, that quagmire has been going on for decades. Congressman, it's time for us to take a break. But coming up next, America's honeybees are in trouble. What Congressman Blumenauer is proposing to try to save the country's critical pollinators. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Stray Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. And welcome once again to my guest, Oregon Congressman Earl Blumenauer. Great to have you with us again, Congressman. We want to talk about National Pollinator Week. This is National Pollinator Week, and you've been fighting to try to protect America's honeybees for a long time. Bumblebees, hummingbirds, butterflies. What's the current status of our honeybees and other pollinators? How are they doing, and how important are they to Oregon's crops? Well, they're at risk. We've watched a significant reduction in honeybee collapse. Uh, in other pollinators, there are 250,000 have been damaged, loss of habitat and pesticides. Uh, we are really at risk of losing uh, hundreds of billions of dollars of agricultural product. If you started your day with a cup of coffee or you like chocolate or uh, a margarita. I mean, these are all products that result from pollination. Um, and it's not just the pollination process for our food production, but it's also a proxy about the health of the environment itself. Because if the environment is not safe for honeybees and other pollinators, you know that it's not safe for people who work in the fields uh, and people who work in their yards. So it's very important that we get this right. And you're proposing legislation to do that. Uh, how would it help protect America's pollinators? Well, uh, this would be the first comprehensive update of pesticide regulation in the 25 years I've been in Congress. Uh, we have uh, issues here to uh, deal with specific areas that have been judged to potentially uh, be carcinogenic. Uh, we are going to, we have a ban on toxic pesticides. Uh, we're going to enhance the overall regulatory framework. Uh, we're going to have the federal government behave more like the European Union. The European Union has decided that when they get evidence that these, uh, like the new uh, are potential that they, that they don't allow them to be sold until they're proven to be safe. Here, uh, we allow them until we have overwhelming evidence, and sometimes it's just too late. Uh, we want to change that and increase the level of protection. I think we all want to save the honeybees. Let's go back to January 6th and the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. It demonstrated for you something that you have long thought is important, that America needs a strong civics education program for students. Why do you think it's even more important after what happened at the Capitol? Well, people need to appreciate our democracy, its strengths and its weakness. And we found at the Capitol and there were people that tried to stop a free and fair election. People were confused about the world that had changes that they wanted to make in terms of the election process. I want to make sure that all Americans, all Americans, understand the strength of our democracy, 
the rules that we all play. Sadly, we see that the, that the civics literacy, uh, the people who understand how government works, um, has access uh, and that uh, the performance of our high school students uh, is pretty sad, frankly, in terms of people not even knowing that there are three branches of government or what the roles are for the or what the role of individual citizens is and how they how they manifest that, how they get involved, how they understand how we're going to protect a, a, a democracy that looks increasingly fragile. Uh, to me, that January 6th riot is one of the most unsettling things I ever experienced. And I want to make sure that we equip Oregonians, especially young Oregonians, to appreciate our democracy, their role, and how to strengthen it. And up until this year, Oregon was one of only 11 states that had no civics education requirement for graduation, but the legislature just passed a bill changing that, making it a requirement. You must feel pretty gratified about that. Yeah, I spent a lot of time working with members of the legislature, and, and I will tell you, Laurel, that that was a pretty powerful demonstration. It passed the state Senate with only three no votes, and two of the key sponsors were Republican leaders in the Senate. It passed the Oregon House of Representatives unanimously. You don't usually see that degree of cooperation uh, and focus. I think it's a good signal, and I want to build on it. We were talking earlier about infrastructure, and President Biden is also working on a, a bill that would include human infrastructure. And you were telling me before we started the show about the child tax credits that a lot of Oregonians, a lot of Americans who have children, are going to be getting a check next week. Can you tell us more about that? That's right. Uh, next month, checks go out uh, to uh, households, every child uh, under the age of six going to be eligible for a $300 check every month for the rest of the year. Uh, for children under 18, it's $250 a month. Uh, it is going to be a, the biggest reduction we've seen in child poverty in decades. This bill will potentially reduce child poverty almost 50%. And we see in other countries where these programs have worked, but this money is used for nutrition, for education, for the health care of the children. I think it's going to be revolutionary, and I'm hopeful that we can make it uh, permanent, if not permanent, at least uh, extend it for five or six years to show people what difference it makes. Congressman, just a couple of minutes left, but I did want to ask you what the political climate is like there back in D.C.? Well, it's very much uh, a mixed bag. Uh, we still have some people who, who deny the fact that we had a free and fair election. You may have seen some of the news accounts when there was an effort to understand exactly what happened with the riot, that some of my Republican colleagues characterized it as like they were tourists. They didn't see any violence, uh, that you could have mistaken it for just a day of routine tourists in the Capitol. That's bizarre. Uh, I mean, I was out there early that morning, watch the, the tensions boil. Uh, and anybody who looks at those folks who broke in, who attacked uh, police officers, who, uh, you know, it was 
it was stunning to suggest that that is like, you know, a, a tourist visit. Uh, they're in denial of reality, and sadly, they are fueling the paranoia that some people have, even though it has been proven time and time again that we had a free and fair election, that Joe Biden won, and even Republican election officials acknowledge that in states like Arizona and Georgia. But the former president and some of his diehard supporters, including, sadly, some in Congress, are supporting this delusion. And it's really uh, makes it hard to be able to work on a day-to-day -day basis on things that should bring us together rather than divide us. Well, the time has just flown by. We thank you so much for joining us here on Straight Talk and hope to see you again here soon. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you, and thank you for watching and listening. Remember, you can get this and previous episodes of Straight Talk as a podcast. Just search for KGW Straight Talk wherever you get your podcasts. We're off next week for the 4th of July holiday. We'll see you in two weeks for Straight Talk. Have a safe week and stay cool.